It's Vision Sunday, and I like, you know, once a year around January time just to kind of look underneath the hood of the church, so to speak, and kind of say, okay, what are we doing, who we are, where are we going, a little more of an internal look, and answer the question, why are we here, why are we established by God and 3631 King Road in China Township? Why has God placed us here? What are we doing and what does our future look like? Having been married for over 27 years, one of the, the benefits I've learned to being married is that I get to look at my life through the eyes of my wife. You ever been at a dinner table or at a restaurant or something and you've got this little piece of food on your face and you don't, you don't see that? And you know, that can happen to me and my wife. She, uh, she'll take her napkin and she'll just do this on her face, trying to get my, and she thinks she's getting my attention. I'm like, what are you doing? She's, and she's look at you. She's wanting me to look, you know, so I, okay, something's on my face. And I grab the napkin and, and I'm going, and no, she's, she goes the other way, you know, that, and I finally, you know, and, and so I realize, and, and after so many years of doing that, I've kind of learned, I've been conditioned that when I'm at a restaurant or whatever in a public setting, is that I kind of take the napkin occasionally and just wipe my face, you know, so she won't have to do that. I'm leaving for work or leaving out of the house, and Brenda says, come here, and I've got this shaving cream, you know, on my neck, you know, and she wipes it off, so she's conditioned me to look at myself in the mirror, you know, an extra time after I've shaved. And that's been a benefit of marriage is that I'm learning to see my life through the vision, the eyesight of my wife. Well, when it comes to being the bride of Christ, when it comes to following Jesus, and we think about vision, Vision is fundamentally about seeing our church through the eyesight and the vision of Jesus. And when Jesus promoted vision, when he promoted spiritual eyesight, he made his disciples and his followers aware of the harvest. It was in John chapter 4, Jesus said, Open your eyes, have spiritual eyesight, have spiritual vision. Look at what I'm seeing because the fields People who are yet to know me are ripe for the harvest. And so when we promote spiritual vision, it's about seeing through the eyes of Jesus. It was about 11 months ago, and we as a congregation, and Brenda and I gathered before you, and with the executive leadership team, and Tim Keller, Jim Keller, who was here, and we installed me as the senior pastor of this church. Had a luncheon, and my wife and I, we felt so welcomed and blessed and encouraged to be here. But I remember as I was heading home, and I had no sooner had reached Wadhams and Rattle Run Road, that my mind just began to shift without even trying. And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, Anthony, it's wonderful you're the pastor there. It's wonderful that I've called you. This is what I want you to do, what I want you to do is to open your eyes, is to have spiritual vision and to move Crossroads Community Church into the harvest field, to see the world that is around them, to see their community and to make disciples. And so fundamentally, I'm going to go to the punchline what our vision is this morning. And the staff and the executive leadership team and the majority of leaders we've been talking to are increasingly on board, if not totally on board with this, 
is that we are to be a support group to change the world around us. We as a church are established here to change our community. We are to share an obedient relationship with Jesus Christ with our community. We are to be into the harvest field. And practically, if we put this in measurable terms, what that means is that in 2019, we want to have seven extensions, seven outposts, seven areas, if you will, where we are serving and loving in the community and we are communicating and sharing an obedient relationship with Jesus Christ to those who have yet to know him. We want about 40% of our church's ministries to be located outside of the church building where we are serving and loving and sharing and making disciples into the harvest field. So let's open our Bibles to Luke 10, 1, because Luke chapter 10, because this gives us Jesus' roadmap or blueprint of how we're to do this. And we're going to weave our way through this passage and this teaching because it gives us a blueprint on how to do this. And then we're going to see how this intersects with what God is doing and where we see crossroads going into 2019 and beyond. Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, turn there. If not, we're going to have the scriptures by way of the screen. Now let me set the stage for you on this. Jesus is in the last six months of his ministry. Three years he serves. Three years he's in ministry, so to speak. He's in his last six months when you come to Luke 10. He's in the nation of Israel. And he's been, as we see, if we could see the image by way of the screen, he's been mainly in the areas of Galilee where he and 11 of his disciples are from and some in Samaria. And they have saturated all of those areas with the knowledge of who he is, his Messiahship, with what he's come, that he is the fulfillment of what the Jews had longed for for the last several hundred years through the prophecies of David and Moses and Daniel and Isaiah. And Jesus is showing himself as the Messiah. And he wants everyone in all of Israel to get a fair hearing before he goes to the cross so that they understand the nature of his death and eventual resurrection. He's got six months, and now they're going to go to that southern area of Israel, the area of Judea. They've got six months to go through all the towns and all the villages and to communicate who Jesus is. And Jesus and his disciples, the 12, they can't get it all done. They have conservatively about 200 miles of travel by foot and stopping in the villages to do that. And so because they can't get it done, they recruit 72 other men who are going to go ahead of them and go with them and go before them to get this done. Now, when it comes to making disciples, when it comes to engaging missions, Jesus did not say, hey, I'm going to die, I'm going to resurrect, and I'm going to send to heaven. And I want you guys to form an outreach committee. And I want you to try to figure out how you're going to reach people for me. I want you to come up with all kinds of creative ideas on how you're to do this. I want you just to go out there and take your best shot at Jesus didn't do that. He gave explicit instructions on how he wants us to engage in mission. And it's in Luke 10 that we have three principles and three practices 
that will be engaged and that will be practiced and that will be followed in any place at any time for any church, any ministry that wants to do ongoing and effective ministry. So we want to look in those. So let's begin. Let's just open up verses 1 to 4 of Luke chapter 10 as we've set the stage. It says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. If you're in a note-writing mood, the first principle I want us to see is the principle of pursuit. The principle of pursuit. If you look in verses 1, 2, and 3, the operative command, the operative word, the operative word is the word sent. Verse 1, Jesus said he sent them two by two. In verse 2, it says to send out workers. In verse 3, it says, go, I am sending you. He's looking at his disciples and he says, go, he's sending. We as a church, if we are biblical, we are going to be a sent church. And he says, I'm sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. He says, I'm going to send you to places that are not very hospitable to faith. I'm going to send you to places that are not going to be hospitable to your values and your beliefs and your presuppositions that you hold as a follower of me. He says, I'm going to send you amongst wolves. And you know why he sends us amongst wolves? Because that's where lost people are who are yet to know and embrace Jesus. He sends us into those less than hospitable places because that is where people are who are broken and need to hear the gospel and connect with the life-saving work of Jesus. Verse 2. It says, He told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into His harvest. Now, what is a harvest? When you're at a harvest and it's ready and you're ready to go out for the corn or the wheat, it's, it's stuff that's ready to be picked. It's stuff that's ready to be utilized. And the harvest we refers to in terms of missions and the gospel is that it's people who are at that place where they're getting ready to know and encounter and love Jesus, but have yet to be encountered with the gospel. It's people who are pre-Christians who are on their way, but they need to hear about Jesus. And notice Jesus says that the harvest, people who are far from God, people who are lost, they're just where they need to be. It says that the harvest is plentiful. But there's a problem. It says, but the workers are few. And Jesus doesn't say pray for those who are yet to know Jesus. He says pray for those who are not getting out of the barn and giving the message of Jesus. Notice the prayer is not for those who are lost, but the prayer is for those who are found. And Jesus says our key challenge, our key problem, is not the harvest, but getting people out of the barn into the harvest. Now let me say something about the barn. We as the gathered church this morning, we're kind of like the barn. We're here, we're gathered, we love each other, we worship, 
And that's wonderful and that's valuable. We don't minimize that. That is necessary to have this to engage the harvest. In fact, beyond our Sunday morning services, we have something in the neighborhood of 22, 25 different ministries which support, which love, which serve, which help, which teach, which edify one another, which probably engages about 70% of our congregation our church. This Tuesday, I'll be going to our life group. We meet at homes, and we have a blast. We just pray for one another. We study the Bible, and then we apply it. And then we have a very highly high-caloric snack afterwards, and we fellowship with one another. Very simple, no big deal. And that's valuable, and I love it. All of these ministries are Tuesday night youth, our Tuesday night children's ministry. We love them. In fact, I've said to Don, our, our children's leader, our children's, I said in 2019, this is a year to level up in our children's ministry. I believe we can take it to a new level, and we've been forming a team and working so that our children's ministry grows even to a new levels of effectiveness. We love all the ministries we have here. We love the barn, okay? But there becomes a dangerous attitude when we begin to say, you know what? It's about me. Pastor, staff, you have to, what more can you do for us? What more services can you give? What more programs can you give? And again, we want to continue to improve and get better and all those things. But the bottom line is that success is not in the barn. We are here. We build one another up. We love one another so that we go out into the harvest field. That is the measure of success. That is the measure of effectiveness. And we will not sustain ourselves as a healthy church until we understand that we are a support group for world changers. We are to be a people who shares an obedient relationship with Christ with the community around us. Let me give you a couple of reasons why this is so vital in our day and age. Number one. There are people who are ready to connect with Jesus and even ready to connect with you as a follower of Jesus, but they're not ready to connect with a local church like what we have this morning. There are people who are open to Jesus, but for whatever reason, they're not open quite to coming to church. And so we've got to go to them because Christ loves them and Christ wants them. And so we have to start to build those bridges. Number two, 60% of all the spiritual giftedness here, your talents, your abilities, your skills, are not going to be best utilized here in what we call the seven-day cycle of doing church at Crossroads. 60% of our giftedness statistically as we look at Christians across the board are going to have their biggest impact is they use their abilities and talents out serving others beyond the walls and beyond the borders of this church property. It's one of our things that we've started in terms of one of our seven points of, of outreach or outposts is our trustees have had the vision that they want to go out once a month and take some guys and serve in the community and help somebody who maybe their home needs something repaired, something fixed, some way that we could love and serve. And, and just recently, they went out on their first project. 
And a couple of the guys, <clears throat> they were traveling, and they stopped at a local gas station, a local convenience store, to get some coffee as they were on this way to a project. And they were dressed in kind of these work-like clothes, you know. And, and, and somebody said, are you guys going to work this morning? It's Saturday. And they said, no, we're, we're from Crossroads Church. We're going to love, we're going to help, we're going to serve somebody by helping them in this way. And this guy said to them, he says, you know what, I, if I didn't have to be somewhere, I would just love to join you. I would love to do that. And the fact is, is that as we mobilize to serve and to love within our community, it will become contagious. And what to do with that? So uh, <laughs> I think I'm saying the right things here. It will become, it will become contagious. So, for example, there's going to be people who your gifts are best used in a nursing home as you go and you practice the ministry of mercy. You go to a hospital and you pray for people and you practice the ministry of healing. You go and you use the gifts of help and the skills you have and you're helping somebody repair something in their home. Some of you with your organizational abilities, you can drive or help mobilize some type of a relief effort and organize and lead in those directions. And so our gifts are more used and we're more effective when we are moving into the harvest. I read this week on a Facebook post this week, somebody wrote this. I believe churches are meant for praising God, but so are 2 a.m. car rides, showers, coffee shops, the gym, conversations with friends, strangers, etc. Don't let a building confine your faith because we will never change the world by just going to church. We need to go out into the world and be the church. And that's what Jesus is talking about. He said, go. Principle number one is pursuit. Principle number two is reproduction. Reproduction. Look again at verse one. It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him. In every town and every place he was about to go. And he sends out 72, 36 teams of two men. Now, if you do your Sherlock Holmes it's kind of like Jesus and the 12 disciples, they're out and they've made disciples and now you've got this another crop of disciples and it's disciples making disciples and this domino effect is taking place and these guys kind of sign up and say, we'd like to do the things you're doing. And Jesus appoints them. Now, who are these 72 guys? We don't know. Their names aren't given. We don't know anything about them but they represent everyday common people who go out on mission from God in order to make an impact on the world that they're called to serve. Steve Addison, a missiologist and historian, said this, Overwhelmingly, early Christianity was not spread by professionals, but by ordinary people whose names and deeds went unrecorded. Folks, the mission field and our service in the harvest field is not for an elite few, but the multiplying many. It is Jesus who sends people out into the harvest field. It is not the pastors or the staff. I want to talk to you about some of the things that God is doing and what he's starting to raise up here at Crossroads. 
And everything that I'm going to list, they did not stem from the heart of the ideas of the staff or the executive leadership team. These are things that came from people responding to the call of the Holy Spirit in their own lives. First of all, number one, we're excited because we've had a couple in our church who's really connected with the school system. They've had a burden and says, we need to be the church within our local school system. So we began talking and praying with them, coaching, and God just opened up doors. And now they have approval from the principal of a local school to have the gym opened up after school, to have an event and an activity for the children and their, their parents and after school activity, and to share a message about God. And it's the Lord who did this. And we're coaching them in Luke 10. And how do you be a missionary in that situation? Right now, we've had two people. One who lives in Richmond and another one who works there. And they in the fall just began prayer walking. And they just began praying for their community. Knowing that there's problems, there's issues, there's spiritual darkness. And then God began leading them to some other people. And they've been discipling other people and influencing them spiritually. And now there's people who are praying and they're wanting the gospel and the message of Christ in the Bible to impact the area of Richmond. It's taking hold, it's taking root. You know about what we've been doing in Marine City, the incredible things there, and now there's approval at the recreational center, at the office building, to now have people of that area to meet and to have a Bible study and to talk about God. Talked about the trustees and raising up the men to go out once a month to serve in the area. We have a ministry that is started back in the fall, Celebrate Recovery. That occurs every Friday here. It's on campus. But it mainly draws in people who are non-churched. Very few people from Crossroads attends that. We've seen people who have come to faith in Christ. And people who weren't connecting with Crossroads are now attending and a part of it. And I could go on and on and on and on about some of the things we see going on. But it is the principle that it is ordinary common people who are just obeying the voice of the Holy Spirit. And then the staff and I were simply coaching them on how to take their ministries forward. Principle number three is this. It's the principle of purpose. Jesus said in verse three, go, I am sending you out like lambs amongst wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. Now, if you look at the word go right there, you notice it's in an exclamation mark. Now, put on your thinking cap just a little bit here because this is so important. In the Greek, in a verb, uh, uh, the, the, the Greek verb can be, is, it's in a voice, a tense, and a mood. A voice, a tense, and a mood. And the voice and the tense and the mood of this is the present imperative active. Now, you're like, Pastor, what are you talking about? Well, let me try to explain what I mean because this is so vital. You see this in the original. Imagine that it's morning, you're traveling to work, you're traveling to some destination, and you're a little bit late, and you get stopped at the traffic light. It's red. And man, it just seems like a really slow light. I mean, you're just sitting there for maybe a couple of minutes, but it just feels like an eternity. Why doesn't it turn green and you're thinking, you know, the city managers need to reprogram the timing of this light. 
This is way too long considering the, the level of traffic that's building up. But then finally it goes from red to green. And you've got this car in front of you. And you're ready to go. But this car in front of you, what are they doing? They're looking at their smartphone. They're on Instagram or Facebook or texting. Now, I know the majority of you, you are so godly and sanctified. You would just simply sit there and you would say, I'm just going to wait on the Lord. I'm just going to go through in his perfect timing. I'm not quite where most of you guys are at on that. I'll tell you what I do. I take my hand like this. I put my palm and I blast the horn. And I'm saying, go, get a move on. Now, my wife, she would love to disengage my horn. Okay, she would love to do that. What I would like to do is to make my horn sound like, a, like you know, bullets from a gun. I mean, that would really get people to move. Okay, but I don't think that's legal, so I'm not going to go there. But when Jesus says go, he is pressing down on the horn. He says the light has went from red to green. And you have no excuses. The harvest is ripe and you are to go out into the field and you are to make disciples. Jesus says it with an urgency. Jesus says it with a force. Jesus says it with a power. And those 72 will go out with the urgency that is commanded with Jesus. Now we come to this and we say, wait a minute. People don't want this. They don't want to know about God. But Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. And so pray for people to go into the harvest. We say, well, I'm not qualified to do this. But Jesus uses ordinary people and he makes them qualified when they go and they are obedient. But we say, nobody wants to listen to me. But God says, it's not about you. You're building a relationship and you're sowing seeds. And it's Jesus who's going to introduce himself personally as you open up people's hearts. He said, but this is too complicated. Can't we do something that's more simple or more easy? Hold that thought. Because there's three simple practices that Jesus gives us in order to go out into the mission field, to go out into the harvest field and to make disciples. So as we bring this in for a landing, let me give you those three practices in order. Number one, the first place is to start with prayer. The first place is to start with prayer. Jesus goes on, he says, when you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. The first thing we do is we pray. And as we pray, God leads us to connect with somebody. It's called a person of peace. It's a person who may be far from God, but they're open to us. They're open to having spiritual conversations. And as we influence them, they're connected to family, friends, relationships, co-workers, neighbors. And then they begin to tell other people. And it becomes the first domino in a chain of effects of sharing Jesus. But it begins with prayer and only God can do this. Somebody was in my office this week and said, Jesus has so transformed me. And I'm so excited. I want to share Jesus with so many other people. Where do I begin? And I say, begin with prayer. 
Just pray like crazy. Where will God lead you? What does God want you to do? And so this, we can do more than pray, but we cannot do anything until we have prayed. Because this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Number two, after we've prayed, or as we're praying rather, we follow up with care. We follow up with care. This is vital. Jesus says, stay there eating and drinking whatever they give to you. For the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. And when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you and heal the sick who are there. Jesus has been accused. He was accused by the Pharisees of being a party animal. His way Jesus would disciple was not so much in the synagogue on the Sabbath, though he did that, and he did some sermons, but Jesus discipled people in everyday life. He would do it at parties. He would do it at house events. He would do it at all kinds of situations. And he often did it into the night over a meal with a bottle of wine. Grape juice for those of you who are Baptist. And Jesus would just fellowship. He would love people. He would have relationships. And as we care for people and love them, that's their best opportunity to know who we are and what it's like to live with Jesus. And so Jesus says, stay there twice. He said, eat whatever's put in front of you. So what does that mean? It means you're sensitive to the person that you're with. So let's say you're a vegan. You don't mean you've renounced meat. And you're at somebody's house. You're sharing Jesus. You're building that bridge. And they order a large meat lover's pizza from Papa John's Pizza or from Pizza Hut. And that large meat lover's pizza is in front of you. Eat it. At least a slice of it. It might be good for you. You might realize if why meat is really good and maybe the vegan idea isn't the best idea after all. But you eat it, just at least one slice. You're there, you're on this incredible diet. You're slimming down, you're feeling like you're so wonderful. You feel like you could be the next person who's going to be on the Nutrisystem commercial. You're going to be Terry Bradshaw or Marie Osmond. You're at that person's house and they serve you this casserole that is so high caloric, so high fat, and you're like, that's going to explode my diet. Jesus says, eat it, at least a piece of it. All right, and then slim back on the next couple of days on your caloric intake. You're in a discussion. It's politically charged. You've got strong opinions. It's on the First Amendment, the right to free speech, the right to respect God and the government. It's on the Second Amendment, on the right to own and have guns. And you have such disagreement with this person's opinion then you plead the Fifth Amendment. You stay silent. Because you don't want to burn bridges over smaller issues because you want to connect bridges over the biggest issue, and that is Jesus Christ. We want to be people who love and serve those who are around us building bridges. This week, the local fire department had contacted our church and they said, would you guys be willing to partner with us on doing a food truck so that we could serve and, and help the community? And we said, absolutely. We'll take our resources and our knowledge and we'll work with the local areas, local service areas, because we want people to know why Crossroads is here. 
that we are a blessing to our community, and that they're glad we're here because of the service we provide, even though they may not agree with the message yet that we proclaim. Thirdly and finally, after you've, after you've had prayer, after you've cared, and then at the right opportunity, share the message of the gospel. Jesus, share with them that the kingdom of God is near. When people's hearts are opened up, and they're open to us, we share the gospel. Jesus was born. He lived a perfect life. He died for our sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead. And he did that to open up the way for you and I to be in a relationship with God. And when we admit our need for him and we believe him, embrace him, and commit our lives to follow him, he freely gives us eternal life. And that's where the heart and the source of healing a broken world and broken lives begin. So what does that mean for us? Well, for 2019, we're looking for those strategic outreaches and outposts of ministry within our community. Anywhere from Port Huron to Algonac, over to Wadhams to Richmond and all the areas in between. We want 40% of our ministries to be geared towards a harvest field because we believe that's where our church can be the most effective. Last week, the staff, five of us and the executive leadership team, five of them went on a retreat. And as we prayed, as we sought the Lord, we were all in agreement. This is the direction that Crossroads needs to continue to go. In fact, it's been really cool because the executive leadership team has been asking me questions. Anthony, are you staying on focus? Are you staying on target to facilitate this direction for the church? And I'm so glad to have that accountability. And so as we've been talking about this, as we've been moving in this direction, we believe it's not my vision. We don't believe it's the staff vision. It's the executive leadership team vision. We believe it's a biblical vision. We believe Jesus says to us, open our eyes for the fields are ripe for harvest.